Writing is the most powerful skill in the world, and this podcast is designed to help you do it better, quicker, and more effectively so that you can become the author of your dreams. My name is Leandre Larouche, I'm your host and the founder of Stellar Writing. Welcome to the Word Leader Podcast, where we talk about how you can use the written word to share your ideas, your expertise, and your message. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Hey, everybody. Today, we're joined by Coach Michael Taylor. Coach Taylor is an entrepreneur, author, motivational speaker, and radio show host who's dedicated his life to empowering men to reach their full potential. He is an irrepressible optimist with a passion for the impossible. He's authored over eight books, including Don't Believe the Hype of the Negative Media and Shattering Black Male Stereotypes. Coach Taylor, thanks so much for being with us today and for talking to our audience. How are you doing? Doing fantastic. And as a writer, when I received your uh, email, I said, man, I love talking about writing. So this will be a great opportunity for two people who love writing to engage in a conversation. So I'm really looking forward to the conversation. Awesome. Well, thank you so much again. So the first thing I'd like to, uh, to talk about with you is, so you've had, I guess we could say a tumultuous life before you started coaching and before you started writing books. And so I'd love for you to tell us a little bit about, you know, where you came from and what led you to coaching and then to, to book writing. Well, I was born in the inner city projects of Corpus Christi, Texas to a single mom with six kids. And basically we were the host of children for poverty back in the sixties. And yet, despite that, my mom instilled in me a very simple idea. If you want something badly enough, no one can keep you from attaining it except yourself. And it was that lesson that has empowered me to move far past what society says someone that comes from my background should accomplish. And so when I was in the 11th grade, I went to a seminar and this guy convinced me that I could get rich selling vacuum cleaners. <laughs> so I dropped out of high school to try to get rich selling vacuum cleaners, which was actually a pretty poor choice. I never sold a single vacuum cleaner. But fortunately for me, I landed a job with this building supply center and I worked extremely hard, climbed the corporate ladder pretty quickly. And by the age of 23, I was actually living the American dream. I had the house, the wife, the 2.5 kids and all of that. And by society standards, I was successful. And then within approximately a six and a half year time frame, that American dream turned into the American nightmare. As I went through a divorce, bankruptcy, a foreclosure, a deep, deep state of depression, I was actually homeless for two years living out of a car. And so during the darkest period of my life, I received a miracle. I was sitting up late one night because I was too depressed to sleep. And I was sitting at the edge of my bed, looking across the room at my bookshelf, when I happened to notice that every book on my bookshelf had something to do with getting rich or making money. And as I looked at those books, this question just sort of popped in my head, Michael, what if you took all the energy and effort you've used in trying to get rich and simply figure out how to be happy? And in asking myself that one simple question, something in me shifted. All of a sudden, my depression lifted, and I had this amazing clarity that I was going to be able to rebuild my life. And as a result of that question, I stopped reading books on getting rich and making money. 
And I started reading books on philosophy and psychology and metaphysics and spirituality and personal development. And I went on what I'll call my journey of transformation. And so it was through this journey of transformation that I was able to rebuild my life. And then I decided I want to take the lessons that I learned through this process and share it with others to support them in dealing with any adversity in their lives. And that's how I became a writer. That's, that's fantastic. So I, I love how it just, it started with books and you read all these books and you, you kind of figured out, you know, the impact it had had on you, but also like how you could take these ideas and the energy that you had and channel it into something, something different, because, you know, what are books? They're, they're just, they're ideas in essence. And so you had had all these ideas and decided to do something, something different with that. And I, I, I think that's, that's amazing. You know, it's interesting, interesting because I've always loved books, um, even as a kid. And even though I never, gra- I didn't graduate high school, I was always reading books. And as mentioned, I was always reading books on making money and getting rich. But it was that passion for books that allowed me, I believe, to overcome all the challenges in my life. Because as I was going through those challenges and struggles, I would read a book to try to figure out, you know, how to fix whatever the problem was. And so books and knowledge are, I believe, the keys to success. And so I think we should always commit to constant and never-ending improvement. And that's why I'm so passionate about books, because I love learning about myself. I love learning about the world around me. And I'm just I'm just a sponge for knowledge. That's fantastic. And how does the how did the writing correlate with your with your coaching career? Did you start writing first or did you start coaching first? Which one lead to which one? Well, interesting story. I actually I actually see myself first as an entrepreneur before a writer or an author. Because I've known since I was 10 years old that I wanted to own my own company. And, and I didn't know how I was going to do that. But what happened is, as an entrepreneur, I create a product. <laughs> that product are books. Uh, the service that I provide is education. So I take the things that I'm passionate about and I'm able to monetize those. And that's how I started my company. But in answer to your question, the, really, the reason I started writing books was actually a result of a conversation that I heard in a restaurant one day. Uh, I was in a restaurant and there was this conversation between these two young black males. Uh, They're apparently well-educated, very professional, well-spoken men. And they were having a conversation about the eradication of black men from America. And it was a pretty depressing conversation actually. And I walked over to their table and I apologize for eavesdropping, but I looked at one of the guys and I said, you know, man, please tell me you don't believe what you just said. And this guy looked at me and he said, absolutely, I believe everything I said. And he said, don't you watch the news? He said, I believe in 20 years, all black men will either be dead or in jail. And it was the look on his face that literally just broke my heart. And I knew there was nothing I could have said that would have changed his mind. So I put my hand on his shoulder and I simply said, don't believe the hype. And I walked away. But as I was walking away, there was a part of me that knew I needed to do something. I had no idea what to do because at the time my life was pretty chaotic. 
but I knew that I needed to do something to help change the mindset of black men. Well, during that time, again, I had gone through a divorce, a bankruptcy, and I was trying to put my life back together. And as I did, I realized that, you know, all the things that I went through, there were so many lessons. And I said, you know, I need to figure out how to share the lessons with other black men who may be dealing with some of the challenges that I were. So I wrote a book back in 1995, and it was titled Brothers Are You Listening? A Success Guide for the 90s. And it was really my journey of overcoming divorce and bankruptcy, as I mentioned. So it was really my way of providing insights uh, to black men to help them have a more optimistic outlook. And so that was my very first book back in 1995. That's fantastic. Would you say, so I know that you work and you write a lot, um, for, for black men, would you say, what, what's your audience like? Are you primarily, are you primarily targeting black men for your audience or are you talking to, to everybody? Well, my primary focus is on the changing roles of manhood and masculinity, which has absolutely nothing to do with ethnicity. So I write specifically for men in most cases. Uh, but again, I do have some specialized books specifically for black men because Number one, I think there's a need and there's a niche that not many people are fulfilling. Um, but my, my whole purpose of writing is uplifting humanity. How can we as a species move past all the challenges that we're dealing with and faced with? And so as a writer, you should target a specific market in some cases. But for me, my market is humanity. How can I help transform the minds of human beings to help them see their unlimited potential. That's great. And how do you, how do you make sure, for example, you write uh, books for for men in general? You write books for black men. How do you make sure that once your book is written and published, how do you personally make sure that your audience, your audience, gets their hands on on, on your books and really? really get the message that you're that you're trying to that you're trying to convey because as you said it's it's definitely a need and these books and this message is important so how do you make sure that people get their hands and well, really well, let me let me let me let me back up a little bit because you wrote an interesting article about writers and how they try to be perfect and how it keeps them from actually getting their stuff published because they think it has to be perfect. Well, when I wrote my very first book, it wasn't perfect, but I was so committed to it at the time that I knew the message was important. And at the time, I didn't have the money to hire an editor, um, but as a, as a writer, you know, I, I was very comfortable that the content was readable. I knew that it could have been polished more, but I was so committed to getting it out that, you know, I did all my research and my homework and I, I studied the Chicago Manual of Style for writing, you know, so I did the best that I could with the limited resources that I had. But what's really important about that, especially as a writer, and I, I really enjoyed your, your little piece, that as a writer, don't strive for perfection because there's no such thing, but definitely strive for excellence. So for me, my book wasn't perfect, but it was excellent. 
And so I was very comfortable putting it out there. Now, I'm about to have my 25th anniversary of that particular book. And so I have sent it back to an editor for my 25th anniversary to kind of take some care of some punctual stuff and some grammatical stuff and just to kind of clean it up a little bit. But it's really important as writers that we simply commit to the process of writing and sharing our, our ideas, our thoughts, our feelings, our beliefs, and getting them out there and then taking care of the editing stuff afterwards. That's great. And so you're quite a, a prolific writer. And so I think you've mentioned that you've been writing at least one book a year for the past six years. Is that, is that correct? Yeah. And <laughs> here's an interesting story. Back in 1995, when I wrote my first book, I had no experience writing books. Um, again, I didn't have a degree in English or writing or anything, journalism. I just knew I had a message that I wanted to share. And I just, when I decided to write this book, I was sitting up late one night because there was a show that I used to watch called Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. I don't know if you've ever heard of the show. Yeah, I've heard of that show. <laughs> but Robin Leach used to do this show. And, and in the show, they, you know, they show these really rich and famous people and really affluent, a lot of affluent people. But one night, as I was watching that, there was this romance writer that he was interviewing. And she, I don't remember her name, but she wrote these romance novels and she was a multi-multi-millionaire. And he was asking her about her writing process. And she said, every day she wrote 10 pages. She said, sometimes it took her 20 minutes, sometimes it took her 12 hours, but every day she would write 10 pages. And as I listened to her, I said, you know, that's interesting. I don't think I can do 10, but what if I committed to five pages a day? And after watching that interview, I committed to five pages a day to write this book that I had started. And so it took me 90 days to write my very first book. And I was pretty amazed, <laughs> but there were some days that my five pages that I committed to would take an hour. I think that's probably the shortest time. But I remember one day I was at my computer for 13 hours before 13. I could complete, before I could complete my five pages. But it was my commitment to those five pages that allowed me to write that book in 90 days. Now, fast forward to, to now, and on average, and I, I, my format is I try to stick to around 50,000 words per book ballpark, which winds up around 150 pages, uh, because I think too many times you try to put too much into a book and you just overwhelm people and most people don't complete books anyway. So right now, on average, I write my 50,000 word books in less than 20 days. And those are eight hour days because that's what I commit to. I commit to eight hour days and I you know, I take some time off and I'd said, you know, I usually write my books in September and I, it's just a, a system that I have now that really works. And as mentioned, I've written a book a year for the past six years. That's awesome. So you prefer, you know, taking some time off and really putting all your effort, all your focus and all your energy into writing those books as opposed to writing them over a longer period of time throughout the year? Well, here's, here's how my process works. This is, this is how my process works. First thing I do is I'll come up with a title. 
I'll come up with a title and I have a couple of great uh, book designers and I'll send them the title and I'll have them create a cover for me. Once I have the title and the cover, it becomes a visualization and I'll put it on my desktop on my computer and I see it every day. I just see this, this book. And then, because again, I usually start writing in September, I finish by the end of the year and then I start all over in January. So when January rolls around, which is today is January 1st, so right now I've got a graphic of my next book on my computer, even though I've just released a new one now. But for this year, I've got this new book. I've got the graphic on my, on my desktop. And so what will happen is I'll go into my meditation and then I'll just get quiet and then I'll start getting ideas. And it is my belief that ideas don't come from our brain. I believe creativity comes from the heart. And when we connect to our hearts and learn to listen, then the ideas emerge from us. And as a writer, I'm sure you've had experiences where you're writing and you just kind of get in a zone and it just sort of flows. You know how it just, it's just, it's almost like you're just taking dictation. It's just kind of, you just get in that really cool zone. Well, what I'll do is I, I, I'll listen and then pretty soon I'll start getting ideas for chapters. I say, well, what do I want to talk about first? And I'll come up with the first chapter. A couple of days later, I may be at the gym and all of a sudden I'll get an idea. I take out my phone, I'll write down that idea for the next chapter. And then pretty soon I'll have my 10 chapters. I usually write 10 chapters, sometimes more, but I usually write 10 chapters. But my process is once I have the visual, I start listening and then the chapters will start coming to me start coming and I may start off with maybe 20 and then I'll say, okay, so I don't need all those. So I'll narrow them down. And then within a couple of months, I'll have the complete outline of what the book is going to be about. I have the, the, the cover, I'll have the chapters and I'm ready to start writing. But then what I'll do is I may be reading an article and there's an article that may have something to do with one of the chapters. So I'll save that article in a folder. I said, this could go in this chapter. This could go in this chapter. So all throughout the year, I'll have all this content and ideas set on my computer. Now, when September rolls around again and I'm ready to start writing, now I've got all my chapters outlined. I've got some content and ideas in some folders and I sit out and I begin the process of writing and then it just flows. Mm, that's fascinating. And how do you, how do you make the decision of what, book do you write like how do you are you because you've been writing several books and there are many different topics that you're that you're writing about how do you make those decisions do you just always know which idea is the most important or do you sometimes have to ask yourself okay what's most important right now well a couple of things if Depending on what's going on in the world, sometimes that may dictate where I focus my attention. For example, a couple of years ago when I wrote the book Shattering Black Male Stereotypes, it, it was the result of all the racial um, challenges we had in America. And I said, well, how can I help fix this? And that's how that came about. Uh, my latest book, which is Don't Believe the Hype of the Negative Media, is the result of all the negativity we've been experiencing for the past four years with the current president. So I always look at the, the problems and challenges out in society and I ask, what can I do to help fix it? 
And so I take those challenges and try to come up with solutions. And that's the, generally the way I choose which book to focus on. That's wonderful. That's, that's a great way to go about it. So I always, I always encourage people to think about whatever they may be thinking about writing as a problem solution process. So reverse engineering a solution that they, that they think is appropriate for the problem that they are wanting to address. So I love, I love that, you know, this is, this is how you go about it. And I don't know what your thoughts are on this, but I believe that at any given moment, there's always just one idea that we should be writing about now. That's the what, the how we can negotiate. But at any given moment, I believe that there's one thing, one topic or one problem that we, that we should be solving. What are, what are your thoughts about that? Well, I believe in divine intelligence. Now, you can call divine intelligence whatever you want to call it. You can call it God. You can call it the universe, whatever. For me, I relate it to it as divine intelligence. There is a divine intelligence that permeates the universe. Every human being has access to this divine intelligence. Now, I also believe that divine intelligence is actually the source of our creativity. So when I learn to listen to and tap into that divine intelligence, then ideas are the currency of that divine intelligence. That divine intelligence speaks to us through ideas. Now, for me, I write nonfiction books. There are some writers, obviously, who write fictional books, but I believe they're coming from the same source. So you just have to get in alignment and in, in tuned to divine intelligence to listen to what divine intelligence wants to create through you. And so for me, it's really a matter of what I'll call emergence. And what I mean by that is that divine idea, when it hits and I get that title and that, 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 that picture in me, you know, and I see the cover, then that's the emergence of something that, that's wanting to come through me. And I have just become really good at listening to divine intelligence and when I'm writing, it's almost as if I'm simply taking dictation. That's how I can write a book, you know, in less than 20 days, because I get into this groove and I'm a firm believer and a huge proponent of meditation. Because when we learn meditation and we learn to quiet our minds, then we can tap into that divine intelligence. And that's what meditation can do. It helps get what I'll call the little s self, because there's a little s self and there's a big s self as human beings. We both have those two selves in us. The little s self is the self that keeps us from being who we were designed to be, who we were created to be. It's that little s self that says, I'm not good enough. You know, I don't have the money. I don't. It's that limiting beliefs that come from the little s self. It is the big s self that gives us the idea that says, man, I want to write a book. And if we learn to listen to the big S self more, then that's when we tap into that divine creativity. I love that. I absolutely love that. So it's a very intuitive process for you. Mm -hmm. And I think there's also something to be said about, you know, what you're just mentioning about the little S self and the big S self, 
you know, when we, not just when we decide to write a book, but the ambition that we have when we write a book. I know, for example, like in my personal experience, I've been writing about some ideas that are that are quite significant. And sometimes there's your little ass self that tells you like, are you really, can you really write about those and do justice? Because, you know, there's so much written already. And, you know, you have all, for example, like, I, I write about philosophy, politics, and personal development. So like, are you really, you know, can you do justice to the ideas that you're talking about, all the great minds of the 20th century? And so that's the, that's the little S self right here talking to you. So I think, I think it's super important what you're, what, what you're mentioning, because you need to start listening to the biggest self and that's the one that's telling you talk about those ideas, these significant ideas, even though, even though they're, you know, it, it's daunting to, to, to make, to take that endeavor. Yeah. But you have to understand this as a writer, you should really only write about that, which you're passionate about. You should write about the things that light you up. Because when you do that, that means you're tapped into the big S self. So when we connect with our feelings, our inner nudgings, our intuition, see, that's all, those are all signs from our big S self. And so as writers, a lot of us will go through what's called imposter syndrome, thinking maybe we don't have the right degrees or we don't have you know, the titles to write about certain topics. But once again, that's the little S self. When you listen to the big S self and you start having these divine ideas, the more we tune into that, the more we'll connect and the more access to creativity we'll have. And one way, the way that I've found to do that is through the process of meditation. Because through the process of meditation, you, you learn to distinguish between the big S self and the little S self. You recognize when you have that thought, I'm not good enough or I can't write, you learn to go, oh, I heard the thought, but I don't have to accept it. So meditation allows you to be aware of what you're thinking, and it allows you to connect more intimately with that big S self part of yourself. And this is something that, you know, it takes practice, <laughs> uh, it takes commitment, it takes patience, but when we tap into it, there's, there's no limit to our creativity. You know, I, I was looking at a, listening to a thing about Stephen King, you know, the horror writer. I mean, just imagine how many books these guys have written. I mean, it's, it's mind boggling, some of these writers, how prolific they are. Well, I believe the reason that they're so prolific is because they're connected to that big ass self. And so the whole point of being human is tapping into that divine part of yourself. And again, I think writing is a gift. Not everyone has it, but everyone can learn how to write, but not everyone is born to be a writer, obviously. But when we as writers, if you are truly a writer, if it's in you, you cannot not write. <laughs> you cannot not write. And so the key is, finding the outlets where you can write. 
Sometimes it might be writing books, or maybe it could be just a blog, or maybe it could be articles for magazines. It doesn't matter, but you just have to find what works for you and what you're passionate about. Mm, that's fascinating. I'd love for you to tell us a little more about your how you practice meditation and how that fits in with books. Are they two separate things that you feel like influence each other, or do you do you intentionally practice meditation when it comes to writing? Could you tell us a bit more about that? Well, meditation first and foremost is a practice, and even before I started writing books. I had begun a meditation practice. I had begun a meditation practice because I used to have so much stuff going in my head. It, I used to get these headaches that I couldn't stop thinking. It was just terrible. And I couldn't figure out how to turn my mind off. Well, I, I did some study. And in the study, I found that if you, if you learn a little bit about Buddhism as a spiritual practice, the Buddhists use a term called monkey mind. Mm. Monkey mind is this monkey mind that just jumps all over the place. Your mind just goes in different directions and you're constantly processing information. In Buddhism, what they teach you is how to calm that monkey mind down, how to slow it down so that you can pay attention to it. And basically Buddhists, teach what some might call present moment awareness, meaning rather than just thinking about all the different things that go through our minds, you know, on a daily basis, it's been said that it's, they, they concluded that every human being has approximately 50 to 60,000 thoughts a day. And of those 60,000 thoughts we have every day, 80 to 90% of them are from the, are the same thoughts that we had the day before. So we're just reprocessing the same thoughts over and over and over. It's all because of this monkey mind that's just jumping all over the place. Well, when I began my meditation practice, um, I, just need, I just wanted to turn that chatter down so that I could figure out how to just be present and not anxious and not always overthinking everything because I was terrible at that. And so I'll never forget the very first day I attempted to meditate. I'll, I'll never forget it. It was, it was so funny. So I'm in this chapel and uh, I'm listening to this meditation teacher and, you know, telling you to take a deep breath and all. Of, and when I sat there, this is the thought that popped in my head. And this is exactly what the thought was. Oh, no you've become one of those new age guys. This is stupid. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. And I sat there and I remember, and I just kind of smiled and laughed. And, and the way the medita meditation teacher explained it, which really helped me grasp it, he says, now, imagine that you're trying to train a puppy. He says, if you take a puppy and you put it in one spot and you want that puppy to poop in that one spot. Well, the first time he's not going to stay in that spot. He's going to be running all over the place. He's going to poop over here. He's going to poop over there. He says, but if you pick him up, you bring him back, put him in that same spot and you have to train him to stay in that one spot. He said, the mind is the same way. 
you have to train it to stay still. You have to train it to quiet. And through the process of meditation over the last 25 years, that's what I've learned to do. I've learned to quiet my mind and to be so aware of what's going on in my head that I'm what some people might call I'm fully conscious in the moment. Now, a lot of people believe that meditation is the process of making your mind just go blank. That's not possible. That's not what meditation is. Meditation is simply the process of being aware of what you're thinking. So for example, I can be on stage speaking to 5,000 people and I can be meditating. Why? Because I'm completely conscious and aware of what I'm thinking. I can simultaneously hold those two thoughts in my head. The one thought is what I'm speaking about and the other thought is, damn, I got this. <laughs> so it's a process of training the little s self and the big s self to work in concert with each other. Every human being has access to this process. And I think that's why it's important to participate, especially as a writer in meditation, because the more we meditate, I believe, the more creative we become. That's fascinating. That's that's such a great way to think about it. So not only do you meditate in general, but your writing process, when you are writing, it is a form of meditation, so to say. Mm -hmm. Because what you said about speaking, that's literally the same thing when writing. You can be writing about, you know, whichever ideas you're writing about, and at the same time be thinking, I got this. I know where this is going. I can see I can see the light at the end of the tunnel, which is sometimes what, what gets people stuck um, in the writing. And um, speaking of which, are there, or has there been any challenges when it comes to writing that you've had to overcome and that you'd like to share um, how, you, how you overcome those? Well, for me, the first challenge uh, was getting past that imposter syndrome. So when I wrote my first book, I, I remember specifically, I would be writing something and then I'd think, what are people gonna think about that? No, maybe I shouldn't say that. Or maybe. And so I was really monitoring and really focused more on what people thought about what I was writing versus simply writing my truth. Mm. And so, especially when you're doing personal development type nonfiction stuff, you know, I'm thinking, okay, so if I'm talking about God, who am I to talk about God? And what would a minister say if you read my book? You know, so all these thoughts are just kind of going through my head as I'm writing. And so I was more concerned and thinking about what other people were going to be thinking about reading my book versus just putting my truth out there. And so that my first book, that's what it really was about. It was really more about other people's approval versus just me putting my truth out there. And so what I've learned through this process of growth is recognizing that I have something to say and I am no longer concerned what other people might think about what I'm writing about. I simply share my truth and it is my truth alone. And if you disagree with it, that's absolutely okay by me, but that's none of my business. <laughs> so I just write and speak from my heart what's true for me. 
That's a fantastic approach. And I always say that when we write, we have a moral duty to speak our truth and we have a moral duty. And, you know, the reason the reason we're, we're called to write is because we have this message or these ideas or that expertise. And, you know, to put, to put it in your terms, our, our biggest self is calling us to, to write those ideas. And once we're there, we're faced with the dilemma, do we, do we adapt for our audience? And I think that's the wrong thing to do. I think, I think, we can't change for our audience. We need to change our audience. And that's the beauty of book writing. That's why I, I'm so infatuated with books, uh, much more so than, than blogs and um, magazine articles, not because they're not great mediums, but simply because books give us the opportunity to explore all the nuances of our ideas. And so we just have more room to explain ourselves. And so, for example, when we're dealing with controversial topics, then we have, we have the opportunity to really make a solid case, whereas in a blog post, you know, and on social media as well. And that's why, that's why a lot of these conversations and these other mediums on, on the TV, which you, which you talk about on social media, you know, they're so polarized because we don't have the opportunity to really explore all the nuances, whereas in books, we can do that. And so I think it's so important because we have this opportunity to really change our audience. And that's what we're called to do as, as writers. Well, as a former atheist, <laughs> there was a time in my life if you even mentioned the word God, I would get turned off completely. I was just so opposed to that idea. Um, as a result of my own journey of, of studying all the major religions in the world, but I'm a huge science guy. I want to know how, <laughs> why. You know, I, I want. I want to know. Don't just give me this belief, but tell me how that is and why it works, right? So the reason that I struggled with the word God and religion is because when I was a kid, I was brought up in the Baptist religion. And even as a kid, I didn't believe 90% of the stuff I heard in church. I really mm -hmm. did. So when I started studying science and quantum physics, all of a sudden things started to make sense for me. And when I got on a spiritual path, that's when everything changed. Uh, and I make a huge distinction, distinction between being religious and being spiritual because they're not the same. I believe spirituality is all inclusive. It, it, it's connected to everything. And so for me, my spirituality is what drives everything that I do. Um, I wrote a book called The New Face of Entrepreneurship. And in the book, I talk about as an entrepreneur, there's three types of compensation every entrepreneur should receive. Well, I think that also applies to being a writer. There's three types of compensation you should receive as a writer. Number one, most people focus on financial compensation. They want to write to make money. Absolutely nothing wrong with that. 
But what we leave out is the emotional compensation and the spiritual compensation of being a writer. So the emotional compensation of being a writer is simply the joy that you get from writing. So for me, someone reads one of my books, sends me an email about how it impacted their lives. It warms my heart in a way that's emotional compensation. Spiritual compensation arises from a belief that you are fulfilling a divine purpose. So for me, I recognize that my gifts, because writing is a gift, my gifts are designed for me to help make the world a better place in my own way. So I receive spiritual compensation as a writer because I know that I'm positively impacting the world. So as a writer, if we will prioritize those compensations, for example, for me, spiritual compensation is first, emotional compensation is second, and financial compensation is third. If we will prioritize how we approach being a writer that way, then I believe we'll be more fulfilled, we'll have more meaning, we'll have that emotional connection, and we we'll, don't have to worry about burnout. Absolutely love that. And it, it's funny because it, it's as if you read my mind, because as we were talking about this, I thought about, you know, how people name things and how, you know, when we, because I believe that, I believe as you, that there's spirituality and there is religion. And at the end of the day, it doesn't, it doesn't so much matter what we believe because they are all connected, but we put different names. And so, it never really bothered me when people use the word God. And I, I come from an atheist background, although I am myself on a spiritual or maybe you could say even religious journey. But I've learned that as a, as a reader, I have, to, I have to read between the lines. And if an author is talking about God, that doesn't mean that, let's say, if, if I'm an atheist, it doesn't mean that we disagree. It simply means that they are choosing to to name things differently. And I think there's something to be said about the fact that, you know, the world, and for example, I, I read this book called Psycho-Cybernetics. I don't know if you've read it. Uh, Maxwell Maltz. Yes. And he yeah. talks about, it, it's a book from, I think, 1979. And he talks about the, the creator. He talks about God. And, you know, today it sounds a little dated because of where we are in society. But... You know, if you read it and you read between the lines, then it makes perfect sense. And, you know, um, I really resonated with what you said because you can ask quantum scientists about, you know, how the world works and they, they will talk to you about energy and stuff like that. And if you really think about it, it can be quite similar to what theologians will, will tell you about, you know, how the world works. And so it's a matter of really naming naming things and you know as writers and as readers we have to be aware and we have to be able not just to read literally but to read between the lines and understand where we agree and where we might disagree with the author well again i think if if you have a spiritual approach to life versus a religious approach to life, then you're no longer offended by other people's point of view. 
um, you're no longer impacted or triggered by people that may disagree with you. Because from my perspective, uh, my spiritual lens says that everything is connected. And science and spirituality are just two sides of the same coin. There's just no difference. They, 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 they work together. It's like the yin and the yang. It, it's all connected. So I don't see the world through a either or perception. I see it more as a together and perception. And so when I was an atheist, it was different because when I would be confronted with religious people, I just shut them out. I just, I wouldn't listen. I just, I could not hear what they were saying because of my prejudgments about their beliefs because I didn't believe what they believed. But now I have evolved, if you will, to a point where I can sit in a Baptist church. I can sit in a Catholic church. I can sit in a Buddhist temple. I can sit in a Muslim mosque and be just as comfortable in either one. Because I believe every religion originates from the same source and leads back to the same place, which is to the divine intelligence. I agree with that 100%. And I think... You know, it's it's essentially what what we do as writers. We go to the bottom of things, and I think, you know, what we're talking about here when it comes to religion, you know, we're looking at the source of everything, and and when we're writing, the goal is to get as close as possible to the to the source of everything, or to take one part of the source of everything and really, really lay out these ideas in a way that will be that will be helpful to our audience now um before we we end this interview i'd like to ask you um can you tell us a little bit about your latest book that i think uh came out in december it's called don't believe the hype of the negative media would you like to uh give us the the spark notes if you will what can people expect from from reading this book well I consider myself to be, as you mentioned earlier, an irrepressible optimist with a passion for the impossible. And contrary to mainstream media, it is my belief that there has never been a better time to be alive on the planet than right now. Obviously, there are lots of challenges in the world. COVID, racism, I mean, there's an infinite amount of problems. But what most people don't realize is that there are a lot more things that are right with the world than are wrong with it. But we live in a society that focuses on sensationalism, negativity, pessimism, cynicism, and what I'll call negative energy. Now, to shift that, we have to inject positive energy because darkness can't move out darkness. Only light can do that. And so positivity, positiveness is, a, is the light, negativity is the dark. Now, let's not judge that as good or bad, right or wrong. It's light and darkness. So there's a lot of darkness. So we, I believe, as human beings are called to be a light in the world, to remove the darkness. The only way to move, remove the darkness is by putting in the light and that light is positivity. And so my book, is a very positive, optimistic outlook about the future. And it begins, the very first chapter is called Being Human. 
Because the key to transforming the world is for us to change ourselves. We must be willing to take a deep look at the man in the mirror and figure out what is it that's keeping us from shining our light? What is the darkness within us that's keeping us from being the light in the world? And then the second chapter, I talk about divine intelligence and evolution and how they work together as for us as human beings to connect with that which is greater than ourselves and why that's so important without being religious. And then I move into a chapter on spirituality where I talk about the science behind spirituality and how science can actually drive your spirituality. And then I have a chapter called Factfulness, which is based on a book of the same title. And Factfulness was a book by a guy named Hans Rosling. And he was a Swedish uh, statistician who was just amazing. He, 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 he did a video called The Joy of Stats. I highly recommend that you do a Google search. Go to YouTube. It's called The Joy of Stats. And what he did was he took statistics about uh, like human mortality, poverty, uh, pollution. And he, he created these amazing graphics that showed the evolution from like 100 years ago. And he pinpointed how the world collectively is actually getting better. And it's amazing how when you see it, and I'm not a big fan of statistics because statistics can be construed to say whatever you want them to say, right? But in this video, as I watched it, I was just fascinated because he showed graphically the support his, you know, his stats were showing. Uh, and you have to see it to really appreciate it. But he wrote an amazing book called Factfulness. And at the beginning of the book, he asked 13 simple questions about whether or not the world is getting better. And when he presented this, these 13 questions to academics and PhDs, only 40% of them answered it correctly in terms of whether or not the world was getting better. So I kind of break it down in, in, in little bite-sized chunks to just kind of talk about some of the things that, to me, confirm that the world is actually getting better. Uh, and that's one of the chapters. Then I talk about, there's a chapter on love and why love and relationships are so important and how every relationship always begins with the relationship with ourselves and why that's important. Um, I talk about health, the importance of health and taking care of the physical body and how that connects with spirituality and everything else. Um, I talk about technology, some of the technologies that are coming, on, coming along that a lot of people don't recognize that's really amazing, things like 3D printers and, and gene sequencing and, and uh, drones and stuff that are really making a positive impact on the world that a lot of people don't see because they're so focused on negativity. And I closed the chapter with what's next. And the, uh, I closed the book with what's next. And what that is, is so what's next for you as a human being? What are you going to do with the information that you've gained from this book? Because it's good to read the book, but if you don't take any action, <laughs> you, you know, you kind of missed the point because I want you to transform your life. And so the book is, is uh, very conversational. I, I've just gotten my first um, reviews back and I've got so far, three five-star reviews from the people that have read it, uh, and I'm really excited about it. But now more than ever, I think the world is ready 
for some positive, optimistic um, thought leaders, if you will, that's changing the conversation about what's possible for humanity. So it's really my attempt to shine some light in a seemingly dark world. Thank you so much for sharing all of this. Um, before we go, where can our listeners connect with you? Simplest place is go to coachmichaeltaylor.com. Uh, I am launching next week a book, uh, a site specifically for the new book called www.idontbelievethehype.com. <laughs> so it's going to be a powerful resource for people that not only buy the book, but are interested in the book. But just if you're looking for reason for optimism, idontbelievethehype.com is a great resource. Excellent. Well, Coach Taylor, thanks so much for, for talking to us today. It was an amazing conversation. Very grateful to have you on here. And uh, thank you. You're very, very welcome. Thank you for what you're doing and giving us writers an opportunity and a platform to share what we're really passionate about, which is writing. So congratulations and good luck on everything you do. It's my pleasure. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. What's up, everybody? I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you did, there are a couple of ways you can show your appreciation. You can support this podcast by sharing it to your social media, your friends, your family members. You can also support this podcast by writing us a review on the podcasting platform you're using. This really goes a long way. It helps us get more visibility and in turn spread the message of good writing to more and more people. Now, if you're ready to go from information to transformation, I invite you to go to stellarwriting.co slash trivium. There you will find a free training on the three-step stoic writing method that I use to teach clients to write their book in 16 weeks or less. So you can access that training for absolutely free at stellarwriting.co slash trivium. Now you can also connect with me on social media. I'm on Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram. Name is Leandre Larouche. That's L-E-A-N-D-R-E space L-A-R-O-U-C-H-E. You can also connect with Stellar Writing on Instagram at Stellar underscore writing. And you can connect with us on Facebook at Stellar Writing FB. Thank you so much for listening. And I will talk to you in the next episode.